You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. And then after you're done greeting, you can turn into your Bible, find Daniel chapter 12. So we're in the habit of not putting up the scriptures on the screen to encourage you to find them in your own Bible, either electronic or paper Bible. So try to find the book of Daniel. It's in the Old Testament towards the end. And then this chapter is the last chapter of the book of Daniel. So turn to Daniel chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4. We are in a series this month on the end times. And this passage has to do with the end, which is pretty cool that it's in the, it's in the Old Testament. And it's going to mention resurrection, which is pretty awesome. Everybody say resurrection. All right. Daniel chapter 12. If you're there, raise your hand. That's, that's like a quarter of you. So I'll give you another minute. It's a hard book to find. What's it after? Right after Hezekiah? Right in between uh, Malachi or something? <laughs> Anyways. Daniel chapter 12 says this. It says, At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. So he's like, in that time. There will be a time of distress. So like a time of tribulation or something. Bad times. A time of just distress such has never happened from the beginning of nations until then. So a really bad time will happen. But at that time, your people, everyone whose names are found written in the book, will be delivered. And then verse 2, listen to this. It says, multitudes who sleep in the dust. So maybe that's figurative for those that have died and have been buried. Multiples, excuse me, multitudes of those who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. Some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, roll up the seal, the words of the scroll, until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase in knowledge. So let's pray this morning. God, we thank you for passages like this and other passages that we're going to look at today that show a glimpse of the end and what the end times will be like. Lord, would you give us a right understanding of these things? May we not be carried away with a foolish interpretation, but Lord, may we, may we be grounded in this fact that you are returning. You are coming back for us. There will be a resurrection. This, there will be your return. And we look forward to that. We think about those things. We, we dwell upon them. Give us your peace, your understanding of the events of the end. We pray this in your name. And everybody said, Amen. So I want to tell you a story about this guy. He's like your great, 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 great grandpa. Uh, maybe not yours in particular, but his name is William Miller. And he lived in the 1800s. You could tell by the old photograph and the sweet bow tie that they used to wear back then. And William Miller read passages like the passages, like the passage we just read in Daniel. He read Daniel. Uh, the end of Daniel chapter 12 says there will be something called an abomination of desolation, which there's various guesses over what that could be. And then a number of days until like this thing happens. And Daniel chapter 8 says there'll be this event. And then a number of days and then a cleansing of the sanctuary. And this guy... William Miller, who lived in the 1800s, was very influenced by this new type of understanding of the end times. I think all of us in here have been influenced by the Left Behind series and an end historical model of of saying, oh, the book of Revelation is about those people living in the end. It's like an end times hand manual. So for what's going to happen, events and things like that. And 
that was kind of new in the 1800s. So imagine that, and this guy reading Daniel, and it's specifically Daniel 8.13 says, uh, there'll be a number of days, 2,003 days concerning daily sacrifices. So the daily sacrifices in the temple will end, and then the sanctuary will be trampled underfoot. I was like, that's kind of interesting. And he took that to mean days equals years. And so found out when Daniel was written and what Daniel was talking about. And so 2,300 days equals 2,300 years. And he calculated the years. And he said, oh, look, it must be that the earth is the sanctuary. And so Christ will return. And so he picked a date. He picked, uh, what is it, October 22nd. 1884. Now, we all know that there's something wrong with someone uh, when they pick a specific date because Jesus said he's coming back like a thief in the night, and you don't know when the thief in the night is going to come. It's a secret. No one knows. Not even the angels know when Christ is going to return. But this guy thought, oh, I've got it figured out that this days equals years, and the cleansing of the sanctuary is in fact the earth, the cleansing of the earth. So the earth is going to be destroyed. Christ is coming back in October 22nd, 1884. And he preached this message uh, for about 10 years. He went around the, uh, the United States preaching this message, and people were, were totally blown away by this new understanding of like, oh, Revelation could be about the end times. People didn't think like that back then. Um, like we do today. They didn't have the Left Behind series or the Left Behind movies to help think about those things. Um, So when people heard that, they were just blown away. Wow, could this be? Could Jesus return on October uh, 22nd, 1884? And hundreds and thousands of people believed him, believed William Miller, that Jesus was going to return. So thousands of people, I I had, uh, it's estimated that 100,000 people gave up, uh, the knew Jesus was returning, thought Jesus was going to return on October 22nd. So they retired early, they sold their stuff, they gave away stuff, they lived as if they only had a couple more years to live. And towards the very end, right up to October 22nd, they moved up to William Miller's farm and there was a rock, this is called Ascension Rock on William Miller's farm. And they camped out for the weekend thinking that Jesus was going to return. So they sold everything. They moved up to this farm. They camped. They sat on this rock, which is a limestone ledge, kind of overlooks uh, a cliff. And they sat there and they stayed up all night waiting for the morning sun because that's when they thought Jesus would return in the east with the rising sun. They stayed up all night and watched the sun rise. And guess what happened? (laughs) Nothing is the right answer. And the day progressed and like, well, maybe it's high noon. And they wait. And I've heard a report of 100,000 people there. Can you imagine? Um, um, Wow. Just camping, waiting. And they're like, noon comes around. High noon. They're sitting in the sun. Like, here he comes. High noon. It must be. And it's like, well, maybe it's it's the setting of the sun that he's going to return. And so they wait. And the sun sets. And it gets dark. And guess what happens? Nothing. It's called, you could look it up on the internet, it's called The Great Disappointment. And it's been <laughs> compared, because like, we, in our lifetimes, at least my lifetime, I lived through Y2K. Anybody old enough to remember Y2K? Lots of us. Uh, anybody old enough to remember uh, May 21st, 2011? Remember that guy? That was just a couple years ago. You're all old enough to remember that. 
But that was nothing in comparison to the great disappointment and the number of people that were fooled. Um, and, and, and William Miller wasn't trying to fool people. He wasn't like trying. To, he was, had good intentions of like, oh, this date must be. Um, this Jesus must be returning, October 22nd, 18, uh, what was it, 1844. Um, and he didn't happen. And it's called the great disappointment. And I think there's a lot we can learn about that. I think there's a lot about not picking a date that we should learn about. Jesus himself said, you will, will come like a thief in the night. No one will know when exactly. But then there's something to be said for their credit. Um, there's a lot to not credit them for, that they would be seen as foolish. The world saw them as idiots um, that, that gave up everything and, and went and lived on this farm and, and then had nothing to come back to, no home to come back to, no job to come back to. But there's something to be commended about their readiness and their willingness that, that we laugh at, that we're like, oh, they're dumb, they, they picked a date. And it's like, yeah, that is dumb to pick a date. But there is something serious uh, and something real about being ready and staying ready. The early church was very ready for Christ's return. Jesus said, I'm coming back soon. And he gave this parable, we'll talk about it a little later, where he said, this generation will not pass away until these things are fulfilled. So they thought literally, like we, this generation. And so the early church, uh, if we look at it, was very aware of Christ's return. I think sometimes for us today in 2013, we look back and say, oh, Jesus said he was coming back soon and it's been a couple thousand years. So why do, what makes us think that that soon is our lifetime? But that's what I think this intention that we should have as Christians is, is this knowing that this world is not forever, that this life is not forever. Whether Christ returns, we are all going to die. That's kind of sad news to some of you, but it should be, it is sad news to all of us. But it's this reality that we live in that we should be ready for our own death, live eternal lives, and be ready that this world is not our true and final home, that we are living for eternity. So just a quick reminder, um, unfortunately, about these guys who met on that rock, the Ascension Rock. But anyways, welcome to the Mill Sunday School. Thanks for coming. If you're new to the Mill Sunday School, there's uh, cards on all the tables that have like a new person card. You can fill it out. You can bring it to us as, as you leave. There's like a little booth out there. Uh, we'll tell you about the mill on a Friday night. We'll give you a CD um, that has a welcome sermon on it. We'll give you Brady Boyd's book. He just wrote a book called Sons and Daughters. Brady's our senior pastor, if you didn't know that. So we'd love to have, give you that gift and send you an email or give you a call if you want. If you don't want, then that's cool too. Um, but that's for you. If you're new, the card looks like that. And then next week, everybody's saying next week. We're going to have hot breakfast. We're going to conclude this 10-month series of systematic theology that some of you, I imagine, have joined us part way in. If and today is your uh, first Sunday, um, then you're like, we've been talking about something for 10 months. Yes, we've been talking about systematic theology for 10 months. And at the end of that thing is we are finally talking about the end times. That's the conclusion of systematic theology. So we're going to celebrate, have a good time, and eat some pancakes and eggs. And I heard bacon too. So, I mean, bacon, right? Bacon. Um, you know what? No better way to celebrate, you know, than bacon, right? <laughs> Just kidding. Anyways, so eschatology. Let's review very quickly, not to beat the dead horse um, like we figuratively did last time, but very quickly, there's open-handed and closed-handed issues. Everybody cool with that? And you're like, if you're new, you're like, what does that even mean? Well, it's a figurative closed hand and a figurative open hand. 
Closed-handed issues would be creedal issues, issues that all Christians everywhere would say, yeah, of course, we believe in the Bible, we believe in Jesus, we believe in God, uh, he's, he's awesome and all-powerful, of course, that's, what, that's a closed-handed issue. And then open-handed issues are things like how big a church should be, what color the carpet should be. Open-handed issues are a lot of theological issues concerning the end times. I think most end times theology has to do with an open hand. People have really good guesses about the end times, but we have to say that in the end, well, that's a guess, and other Christians have other guesses, and that's cool. We could all be in the same room. We could all, you know, cheers and drink coffee together, and, and it's like, yeah, we're, this is an open-handed issue. We're, we're not going to call each other heretics if, if one of you is a pre-trib and one of you is a post-trib or one of you is pre-millennial, somebody else is amillennial. We're not going to throw around the word heretic. We're going to say this is an open-handed issue and there's room for disagreement, there's room for discussion, and that's okay. And last time we put up two big um, understandings of the end time, the contemporary historical and the end historical model. And we said that the contemporary historical model is kind of like these things. Uh, events relative to the first century. So if you're reading the book of Revelation, you're reading about events that the first century has the understanding of what those things are. And if you're an end historical, well, then you're, you're saying that the book of Revelation is written to those in the end. So passages are a handbook for those in the end. So it's, like, it's almost like this, these glasses, this lens that you see the end times through, at least the end times passages through. Do you look at the book of Revelation and you say, this book is for the people living in the end? Or do you look at the book of Revelation and say, this book is for the people that it was written to in the first century? And there's different, there's the Left Behind series, there's N.T. Wright there's, it's often called futurism for end historical. A contemporary historical is often called preterism. End historical sometimes called dispensationalism. Uh, contemporary historical might say a phrase like, well, the, the events in book of Revelation have already happened. Um, and so these are two huge models to understand the end time. So um, today we are going to spend our time talking about the end historical model of the book of Revelation and other passages. And I'll talk about those passages in just a second. And I hope to just give a bird's eye view of the end historical model. And I've, I've given lessons like this before, like in the school of worship. Um, and I've, I've been thanked afterwards for like, oh, for the first time ever, someone has zoomed out and given a bird's eye view of the end historical model in a way that I could understand. So many people just jump right in and start talking about the Antichrist, start talking about when we're raptured, this will happen and that'll happen. But I'm going to zoom out from that and just talk about the whole view in and of itself, which hopefully you're in here right now and you will thank me later in saying, oh, it just became so clear. Like I see now that whole model of understanding instead of just jumping right in and saying, here's the chart, here's the events that we're going to see. Like, let's zoom out and talk about this as an open-handed issue. Cool beans? When I say cool beans, you say, I'm trying to bring that thing back, you know? Didn't we do, is it the 80s or 90s people that said cool beans? So I'm trying to, in 90s, I'm trying to bring it back. So cool beans? <laughs> we're, all, we're all so nerdy in here. <clears throat> so take a look at these guys. Um, you probably recognize some of these guys. Maybe not from their pictures, but their names. Uh, John Nelson Darby. Raise your hand if that sounds familiar. Raise your hand if you've heard of Schofield or Schofield Bible. Raise your hand really high if you have a Schofield Bible. Anybody? 
A couple of people. There's a, there's a Bible called a Schofield Bible, and it's like a reference Bible. Um, has anybody ever heard of Charles Larkin? It's a sweet, oh, sweet. A couple of people have. He wrote a book called uh, Dispensational Truth, and uh, in it is, you could come up here and look at this later, but there's all kinds of like charts in here. Anybody like charts? Yeah, me too. It's kind of a nerdy thing to do, uh, really nerdy. Um, and it's, it comes with like this idea of looking at Scripture and trying to line it up. I mean, here's charts of judgments. There's charts of the book of Daniel. There's charts. It's dispensational theology that there's dispensations, and we could chart it all out. In fact, on the cover of the notes, if you got the notes, is one of Charles Larkin's, Charles Larkin's uh, famous charts of the book of Revelation. You've probably seen charts like this before. It's like you take the events of Book of Revelation and you put it into a timeline and you line it all up. You got the rapture, you got seals, you got trumpets, you got uh, bulls, you have the Antichrist, you have the beast, you have the three beasts, you have the, the millennial kingdom, you have the return of Christ, and it's all on this sweet chart, this sweet timeline. And so, zooming out, um, Charles Darby, Schofield, and Larkin are known as kind of the three guys that influenced the end historical model of interpreting the end times. And you're like, wait, so before these guys, and these guys all lived in the 1800s, people didn't think about the end times and the book of Revelation? It's like, no, people thought about it, but people didn't really chart it out before the 1800s like Larkin started to do. In fact, uh, John Nelson Darby, the guy, the first guy there, he's kind of the earliest of these other guys. Other guys would be influenced by him. I think William Miller, the guy who we talked about at the beginning that picked a date, would be very influenced by the writings of John Nelson Darby. John Nelson Darby is known for coming up with, he's, he's credited for... Um, the origination of the idea of the rapture. Which is it's like, wait a minute. So the rapture, people didn't talk about the rapture before the 1800s? No, not, not like we talk about it today. Uh, it's kind of a new, I mean, new in, the, in, like in terms of like Christianity is 2,000 years old. Uh, the last 150 years, people have been looking at the book of Revelation like the charts and with the rapture as we talk about the rapture today. Like when I say rapture, you imagine going up and losing your clothes, right? <laughs> like if the rapture happened right now, you would imagine we're all gone except for a few bad ones of you that didn't get raptured because uh, you weren't really Christians <laughs> or something. And, <laughs> and all your clothes would be left and maybe your teeth fillings would fall out and your watch and your wedding ring would be laying on the ground. And I always thought about, well, what about the food you just ate? Would that get raptured or would it be just like a blob of like, poo and like uneaten, f sorry, that's really gross. Um, <laughs> sorry, you're eating and I'm talking about the, your guts. Anyways, I'm an idiot. Um, so that's what you think of when you think rapture, at least I do. And that is a very new idea that, that uh, at least new, like 1800s, if that's new uh, to you, then, then it's new. But it's, 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 People didn't think about a rapture before the 1800s. And it comes from a couple verses, and we'll talk about those verses a little later. But the main verse that it is, is uh, Matthew 24, and it says, uh, Two will be in a field. One will be taken, and one will not. Uh, two women will be grinding uh, in the mill. One will be taken, and one will not. So this idea that 
when Christ returns, just some will be taken up. And so that verse could be about the death, like it talks about armies surrounding Jerusalem. One could be killed, one could not be killed. But this whole idea that we have kind of come up with in the Left Behind series uh, portrays that is very memorable in our minds that, that some people will be raptured away and their clothes will be left behind and other people will be left behind, hence the name Left Behind series. That's a pretty new theological idea. And there's plenty of us in here uh, and around New Life that would say, you know what, I don't even know if I believe in a rapture. Um, and, and before the 1800s, people would say, yeah, we don't, we don't even know what that means. That word, by the way, isn't in the Bible. Um, and so would we throw around the term if someone was in here and we, they said, I don't believe in the rapture? Would we say, you're a heretic? Well, no, we would say that's an open-handed issue. And it's actually an issue that is fairly new in Christianity that this idea of some will be raptured away and some will not. Um, but we'll come back to that in just a, a minute. We're going to do the, a chart thing. But first we need to look at some passages. All this end-time theology is, is according to what the Bible says. And so I have the five main passages of the end times. And you might say, there's more passages than this. And I'd say, well, th- there's a lot more verses about the end times than the five I'm going to mention. But these five are the passages, the whole sections of Scripture that are about the end. Um, and there's, there's more than this, um, but these are the five main ones. You can't do an end times talk without at least mentioning these passages. And so here they are in no particular order. Um, the first one would be Daniel 12, the whole chapter, 1 through 13. We read part of it today. It talks about uh, the resurrection. It talks about this um, events of tribulation and this horrible time as never seen on the earth up until this point. It talks about days of end. It mentions an abomination of desolation. And there's lots of different interpretations on what that could be or what that was or what that will be. Um, so Daniel chapter, chapter 12, 1 through 13, write all of these down because I'm going to give you a discussion question that, that you will want to refer to Scripture um, in just a second. So the next passage, or actually passages, are Luke 21, Matthew 24, and Mark 13. These three passages and these three gospels are all kind of the telling the same story, and it's often called the Olivet Discourse. Anybody heard that before? Okay, a couple of people. Um, it's called the Olivet Discourse because Jesus is on the Mount of Olives, and he gives a talk, and so a talk is a discourse, and Olivet is the Mount of Olives. So it's it's often called the Olivet Discourse. And it's recorded in those three chapters of Luke, Matthew, and Mark. And Jesus' disciples come up to him. All three passages say Jesus' disciples come up to him um, and, and ask him about the temple. And Jesus says, there'll be a time when, I'll read it, I'll tell you, not one stone will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. So he's talking about the destruction of the temple. Now, if we zoom out for just a second... Um, we could say there's a contemporary historical idea here that Jesus is, going, is referring to the temple that will be destroyed in 70 AD. So that's possible. And then we could zoom out a little bit more and say, well, this could be an end historical model. So is there a temple in Jerusalem right now? No is the correct answer. On the temple mound is a, a Muslim mosque, the Dome of the Rock. 
Um, there's, I, guess, I guess the answer could be kind of yes, because there is sections of the, like the, the Wailing Wall, uh, the West Wall. Um, so there's, I guess there's stones that used to re- represent the temple still around. It's in ruins. There is no, like if you go to Jerusalem today, there won't be someone killing a cow and an altar, um, a bunch of Jewish people doing that uh, at a temple. There is no temple right now. Um, so, so could this passage be saying that the temple will eventually be rebuilt, and then Jesus is talking about the destruction of a future temple? Maybe, uh, maybe not. We do know that the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, so Jesus could be talking about that. Um, so there's interpretations of this Olivet Discourse. Anyways, uh, and Jesus says that that generation, this generation will not pass away until those events happen. Um, and then the temple is destroyed in 70 AD. So he could be talking about that, could be talking about an end historical idea that the temple will be rebuilt and then it will be destroyed in a different way. Anyways, then Jesus starts to talk about the return of the Son of Man. And he says, um, you must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And he goes into saying that one will be taken and one will not. One will be grinding in the mill and, and one will be taken and one will not be taken. And sometimes people say, oh, that's the rapture. When the Son of Man comes, one will be taken and one will not be taken. And that's what Charles Nelson, or excuse me, John Nelson Darby was talking about, a rapture. So that's the Olivet Discourse. I'm, I realize I'm, I'm, I'm going very fast here, but the idea is to get a bird's eye view here. Um, and hopefully a lot more will make sense when I put up a chart. So that's the Olivet Discourse. You can't talk about the end times unless you talk about Jesus talking about the end, which is Luke 21, Matthew 24, and Mark 13. Continuing on, another big passage is 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5. And you can write down 4.13 through 5.11 if you wanted to. And this refers to um, when Jesus will return. It says this in uh, 4.15, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that those who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud cloud. Uh, in a lot, in command in a, in a cloud, and with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, the dead in Christ will be raised first. So there's this idea that the dead in Christ will be raised first, and then those living will be called up. So if this is also talking about the rapture, uh, what has to happen before the rapture? If this is talking about the rapture, the dead in Christ will raise first, Christ will return, and those who are living will be called up. So that's that's interesting and potentially about the rapture. It refers to Christ's resurrection. It refers to Christ's coming. Um, so that's 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5. And then there's a passage in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2. And, and kind of sprinkled throughout Thessalonians is this idea that there will come a man of lawlessness. Sound like a good guy or a bad guy? Bad guy, yeah. Um, sometimes people say this must be the Antichrist. And the word Antichrist is not in the book of Revelation. You can look for it now if you want. You won't find it. You will find a beast. And some people are like, oh, the beast is the Antichrist, is the man of lawlessness. That could be. They could all be the the same person. Or or it could all be just this idea of a person, this idea of um, a beast. Sometimes people are like, I take the book of Revelation literally. There will literally be a beast. And, And then they say, yeah, it could be a person. It's like, wait, they describe the beast. He like comes out of the ocean like Godzilla and he has like 15 heads or seven heads and he, has, and he looks like the feet of a bear. And it's like, 
Don't tell me you take the book of Revelation literally and then say, yeah, the beast is a man. It's like, it says literally. If you say literally, then you really have to mean like a Godzilla beast coming out of the water. Nobody's laughing. Anyways, sometimes I think it's funny when people are like, I take it literally. Well, not literally, literally. Um, You might take the events literally, but anyways. um, So 2 Thessalonians 2 uh, and then the, finally, we have to, you probably, we, in a way, we probably should have started with this because you've been waiting for it. Of course, the entire book of Revelation would be a main end times passage. So besides the book of Revelation, we have uh, the Olivet Discourse, Daniel, and there's, you could say, oh, Daniel chapter 8 also mentions an end, uh, and 2 Thessalonians and 1 Thessalonians. These are the main passages. You'll find a verse here and there in John, like First and Second John, that mentioned an Antichrist. You'll find a passage here and there throughout the Old Testament. But these are the main passages, like whole sections of Scripture talking about the end. So I want to stop talking for just a second, give you a second to talk amongst yourselves at your table. So if you're at a smaller table, jump right in with a bigger table and discuss this. I think discussion is important, especially just getting ideas out and trying to work through some of this thing. And I, hopefully this discussion will will put some meat on the bones of this talk about end times. So what are the events of the end and that, that you could find verses for? So if you're like, yeah, Antichrist or Beast or Mark of the Beast or Rapture, um, can you find verses for those things? What, and and I, gave, I just gave you five whole passages of Scripture. So you're like, where do I start? Well, start in the book of Revelation. Start flipping through. Think about something that you think will happen in the end, that you've heard will happen in the end, like Rapture, a millennium. Can you find verses that support those things at your tables. Discuss that. Study the scripture real quick. I'll give you like three minutes, five minutes. Ready, cassette, go. Discuss. All right, would anyone like to get us started with um, mentioning an event of the end and then saying, look, here's a scripture for it? Anybody? Larry, you got something? No? All right. Yes, Higgins. It's his last name. That's oh, the oldest trick in the book. It is the old. Oh, there we go. There. Okay, so, so we covered a lot. Uh, Second Peter has a lot to say in regards to the end time scoffers, those that say, yes. oh, you know, there's, Christ hasn't come back yet. He's not going to come back. You're, you're foolish for believing that. So that's Second Peter 3, 3 through 4 covers that specifically. Uh, but also in Second Peter chapter 2, um, is the warning against false teachers and prophets uh, in our midst now, and uh, we'll be leading you astray uh, in in the future. And then in First uh, John, uh, it talks at length about uh, antichrists. antichrists. Yeah. So note the plural antichrists. Antichrists. So in the end, there will be false prophets, antichrists, those that come will come to deceive. And Peter says they're here now. And they will be later. What else? Anybody? I know you, you had good... I walked around and you had good conversations going. Anybody? Good? Nobody? Really? Okay, here we go. Thank you. Are we on? Okay, we are on. Excellent. Um, one thing that I've really enjoyed reading in Revelation goes back to uh, verse 14, the lamb and the 144,000. I don't necessarily know yeah. how that relates to anything, but it's close to a round number, and I like it. Yeah, yeah. So there's, there's numbers in the book of Revelation, lots of different numbers. 
uh, different ways of interpreting those numbers. But maybe you found, like, like I've thought, like sometimes people, and I've watched this week in, uh, in preparation for this talk, I watched a lot of YouTube videos, uh, end times debates, end times lectures, and it seems like people think at least that they have it all figured out. And they have these like awesome charts, they're like, this will happen, and then this will happen. And they have, and you're like, where are you getting this from? Why are you so sure? Um, and then you go and read the verse that they mentioned, and it's like, this verse says that this will happen just this way. And then you go and read that verse, and you're like, it doesn't really say that exactly. I mean, I could see where you're coming from, but it doesn't really say that specifically. I think of the rapture verse, like two will be in the field, one will be taken, one will not be taken. And you're like, okay, does that say that like you'll, a, a Christian will disappear and leave their clothes behind? Or could that just be in reference to like an army coming and one will be killed and maybe one will live? Um, it, does that specifically say like they will disappear no, it doesn't specifically say that. I mean, you could conjecture that and assume that and, and build on that uh, approach of interpretation. But I just find that, that I wish um, lots more people, when it came to the end times, were open to saying that, yeah, this is a guess. It's a really good guess. It's a really good interpretation from these. But it still comes down to an open-handed issue that is a guess. So let's clear our minds for just a second. I gave you five passages here are the things that I listed from those five passages. So these, if you ever look at a chart of the end times and someone makes a chart of an end times end historical model, you will at least see these things. I think I'm going to list 14 different events for you. So moving very quickly, Daniel 12 talks about a resurrection, talks about an abomination of desolation. It also mentions a tribulation that I'll talk about in a second. And then Jesus in his Olivet Discourse, lists lots of things. Some of them are tribulation, that the temple will be destroyed, that Jesus will return, and there's this continual idea that we won't know when. It's like a thief in the night. Not even the angels know when this will happen. First uh, Thessalonians says there, there will be a calling up of the ones that are living, and we could call this a rapture. Um, we could call it something else. We could just call it the end of the world and, and Jesus coming back and taking the people that are living. Because um, when we say rapture, I think you think of the Left Behind series uh, kind of rapture. It could happen like that, or it could just be Christ's return and the end of the world, and people um, are all called up, and the dead are raised. Um, anyways, that's rapture. It also mentions a few other things that are already up here. It mentions Christ's return. It mentions a resurrection. Second Thessalonians mentions an antichrist. It actually just says man of lawlessness. But the idea of an antichrist from other passages uh, in, the, in the book of Revelation, we could say beast. Um, so when is that? When is that? When will that be? And then Revelation mentions these things, mentions a lot more than these things. But the seven churches, it starts off with, it talks about uh, there'll be judgment. It talks about uh, towards chapter 20, talks about a uh, millennium. Before that, it talks about seals and trumpets. It talks about a new heaven, a new earth at the book of Revelation. And so I think any chart you look at for the end times will probably at least have these 14 things on it. It'll probably have a lot more if it's like a well-in-depth chart. But how do people get the chart from this? And we're going to go over this in just a second. But first, stepping back and thinking about the big idea, the big picture here, we talked about the for sures, the five for sures a couple weeks ago. Do you remember that, anybody? Okay, a couple of you do. Good, because that's really important. Um, we talked about how 
There's five for sures. And last time I think we quizzed you if you remembered the five for sures. Are they up here? Well, I think so. Resurrection, Christ's return, we won't know when, judgment, and then the end of the world as we know it. I kind of, well, a new heaven, new earth. I guess that could be the fifth one. But they're kind of up there. We talked about Christ will return, resurrection. We won't know when, a judgment of some sort, um, and then the end of the world as we know it. So they're kind of up here. Um, (coughs) So let's look at a chart, shall we? We take these 14 different things, and we as, I don't know, Americans, Western world, we want to make charts. We want to line it up. We want to, I think, Sometimes we approach the book of Revelation and say, oh, of course we could line it all up. Of course, all of these events are literal or semi-literal. Like maybe there won't be a literal beast like Godzilla coming out of the ocean, but maybe some leader will be the beast and he will come in a boat or something. And it's like, well, that's not literal, but we could put it on a, on a, on a timeline as if the event is literal. So let's make a timeline, shall we? And I'm going to fly through this timeline, and I I imagine you've seen timelines like this before, and so hopefully this will make sense to you in a way that um, maybe is like a bird's eye view. Maybe no one has ever explained it like this all at once. I was talking to my friend Tim Keeney, who's, I don't think he's here today, he's on Sunday School Leadership, and he was talking about he did a summer camp one time, and they spent a whole summer going over Revelation charts, like when he was in high school. Like, what an awesome summer camp, don't you think? (laughs) just like the whole summer going over charts of the book of Revelation. But at no time did, did they just stop and say, this is all open-handed issue. There, there's actually a whole different type of interpreting the book of Revelation out there called a contemporary historical model. They just said, here's the chart, and they lined it all up. So I'm going to give you the chart and in some ways kind of give you options for how people view the chart. So there's a line. And a cross. So Jesus came a long time ago. We'll look at this chart from left to right. So the cross represents Jesus about 2,000 years ago. And what oftentimes the chart of an end times chart will cover is the seven churches. They'll say, oh, the seven churches in the book of Revelation aren't contemporary to the first century. They are seven ages. And that's a pretty big assumption. Let's, let's say that, let's admit that that's a guess, that that's an open-handed issue. Um, but there's seven churches, Thyatira, Smyrna, Pergamum, Ephesus, four out of seven ain't bad, um, <laughs> Laodicea, anyways, five out of seven ain't bad. Um, there's seven churches, they all represent seven different ages. So Ephesus is the first church mentioned, that must be the early church. And then Smyrna, Perga, Thyatira, these are all different ages, like the early church, the Roman Empire, the Middle Ages, those are all different ages of the church. And we are now living, according to some interpretations, the Laodicean era. If you know anything about the Laodiceans, they were neither hot nor cold. They were lukewarm. God wanted to spit them out of his mouth. So some people would say, we are living in the Laodicean era. God wants to spit us out of his mouth because we're neither warm nor nor cold, and we should be warned about that. Um, That's an interpretation, that the seven churches are seven ages. Um, A very popular interpretation that many historical people would say is true. Uh, If you look at this book, and you can come up and look at it later, uh, Charles Larkin goes into great detail about the churches being these different ages, and he's got it all lined up in a little chart up here. Kind of cool, but it's just an interpretation. 
So the seven churches, um, we are now potentially, according to some models, living in a Laodicean church that's neither hot or cold. And at some point will come all of these events. So a bunch of things right now. Tribulation, seals and trumpets, temples destroyed, abomination of desolation, and an antichrist or a beast or a man of lawlessness. Some people would say that's all the same guy. Nikolai Carpathia, is that the name of the guy on uh, the Left Behind series? So that would be him, the Antichrist. What's interesting is that the temple has to be destroyed. So some people who are in historical models say, oh, when Jesus talked about the, the temple being destroyed, he was talking about the end of time. So that means the temple has to be rebuilt because there's no temple in Jerusalem right now. So that's why some people really into the end times are also really into Israel and really into the Jews getting back all of Jerusalem so they could rebuild a temple. And they're like, the Jews need to get the temple back so that the Christ can return, because Christ can't return until the temple's destroyed, and the temple's not there right now, so the temple needs to re- be rebuilt so it could be destroyed, um, is this line of thinking. It's interesting, it's an interpretation, um, but that would be a part of this understanding of the end and this tribulation. There's a verse in Revelation, just one verse, that says that a woman is given two wings uh, as of a great eagle, which what some people would say, oh, maybe she flew like in an airplane. And they would say, I believe Revelation is literal. It's like, no, if you believe Revelation is literal, then you would say a woman was given literally two eagle's wings that she could fly with. Um, anyways, um, anyways, it says that there, she will be taken care of for a time, a times, and half a time. Have you heard that before? And some people are like, that's three and a half years. It's like, well, I don't see three and a half years there. A time, a times, and half a time. That could be 10 minutes. Um, it could be 50 years. Um, but some people are like, oh, the time is a year, and times is plural, which is two or more, but they would say it's two. So a time, a times, and half a time would be exactly three years. So the tribulation may be three years, or it could be two time, times, and half a time, which would be seven years. And I'm sure you've heard that before, too. Um, let's just go back to like ground zero and say, that's a guess. It's maybe a really good guess, maybe a really fun guess, maybe a really good, true guess, um, but it's just that, it's a guess. So anyways, some people would say there's going to be a time of tribulation and maybe before the tribulation or after the tribulation, there will be the rapture, the church being pulled up into heaven and their clothes get left behind and the other non-Christians get left behind. And that could either happen before or after this time of tribulation. And there's huge debate over whether the rapture will be pre or post-trib. Whole churches take stands on this and say, we are a church that believes in a pre-tribulation rapture, that we won't have to go through the suffering. And other churches are like, bring on the suffering. We believe that we will go through tribulation and then the church will be raptured. Um, And then there's whole other questions that are like, I don't even know that I believe in a rapture, like the Left Behind at least talks about. So lots of different interpretations here. Um, And sometimes people say that is with Christ's return because both of the rapture scriptures in Matthew 24 and 1 Thessalonians talk about at the coming of the Son, some will be taken. And and so sometimes people are like, that's Christ's return. Um, Anyways, as the book of Revelation progresses and the seals and the trumpets and the bowls, uh, and the Antichrist or the beast is, is uh, captured, sometimes people will talk about a millennium. There's eight verses in the Bible that talk about a millennium, Revelation 20, 1 through 8, a thousand-year reign where the beast or Satan, um, there's different interpretations on that, 
are held in the abyss and a thousand years of rain on earth. Um, and some people have this all spelled out in, in these charts. Um, and they'll talk about how Christ will either come back before or after the millennium. And if you and, and maybe someone has asked you before, hey, are you pre-millennial or post-millennial or all-millennial? And you're just like, wait, what? This, this is what they're asking you. They're asking you, does Christ return before or after the millennium? If someone asks you, hey, are you pre-trib or post-trib? I was at a wedding yesterday and a youth pastor from California was like, hey, do you, so you're talking about the end times. Are you pre-trib or post-trib? And he was asking me, do I think the rapture will happen before the trib or after the trib? This is common, nerdy, Christian discussion stuff. Um, but now you know what it means if someone asks you, are you pre-millennial or post-millennial? They're asking you, do you think Christ returns before or after the millennium? And if you say he returns before, well, then he kind of has to return again at the end of the thousand years to, to, for there to be a new heaven, a new earth. And so if you believe in a, in a rapture and a pre-tribulation, uh, pre-millennial Christ return, then you're kind of saying that Christ will return three times, which is interesting. And he already came once, so Christ will come back four times, which I think is kind of a problem uh, theologically um, if you really get down to it. And you're like, so Christ will return to this earth four times total. He already came back. He will come back at a rapture. He will come back before the millennium, and then he'll come back to make a new heaven, a new earth. That's four returns of Christ. Um, and I think that has to be dealt with theologically. If, if you are a, believe in this end kind of model and have it all lined up like this, like what does that say about Christ? You know, I think of like the scriptures that talk about Christ's return as this great event that we're all looking forward to. And if it's going to happen three times, then, then which one is the greatest one? Well, maybe the last, last one. I don't know. Um, we won't know when though. Um, and there'll be judgment potentially at the end of this millennium, uh, there'll be a new heaven, a new earth, and maybe this final, final, final resurrection at the end. And I look at charts like this, and I'm like, at least this one has all the options up there, which really makes it a lot more confusing for you. Um, is anyone else confused? Okay, yeah, me too. Um, anyways, there's just lots of options. And I'll go back to ground zero and say, Lots of these options are built on assumptions, and there's whole different ways of interpreting the book of Revelation and the end times passages. And next week, we'll talk about the contemporary historical model. And if you're wondering, and it, lots of you asked me last time when I put out the end historical and the contemporary historical, Joe, which one are you? I lean more towards a contemporary historical model. Hopefully today I've given justice to the end historical model and talked about different options um, within this model of understanding. Um, but I would lean more towards a contemporary model. I would say, let's look at the events of the book of Revelation through first through the eyes of the first century, how they would have interpreted them. And then let's, let's move on and maybe get to some of this stuff. But let's not forget that we should always interpret Scripture through the eyes of the author, the audience, the genre, the time at which it was written. So more about that next week. Um, if I've utterly confused you, um, in some ways good, like that's, that's, it's confusing stuff and it should go back to this idea that it's just interpretations of Scripture. I think the more I learn about the end times, the more I learn like 
it's, it's built upon an open-handed issue. Um, we have the five for sures, but like if we start talking about who the Antichrist is, what the mark of the beast could be, well, those are assumptions. Those, those are built on open-handed issues, and that's okay. It's fun to talk about. It's fun to think about. Uh, it is important stuff to think about. Um, but let's conclude with this final thought. Um, this idea that I began with, I, I, I brought up the interesting uh, example of William Miller picking the end of days as, as October 22nd, 1844, and said that a bunch of people believed that that was coming, and they all said they got ready, they, they, gave, they sold their stuff and gave it to the poor like Jesus said to do. They, they decided that this world wasn't worth living for in, in, in the spiritual sense that they were ready to move on to the next world. Um, and in a way, that was silly of them because they picked a date. But in the other sense, they were ready and they stayed ready. And what I really appreciate about the end historical model, about like the Left Behind series uh, of books and then the movie, um, and I, heard, I heard they're remaking the movie. Did anybody else hear that? And Nicolas Cage might be the main guy. Did you hear this? Look it up on the internet. See if they're just if someone's pulling our leg or if this is the real thing. Um, but what I do enjoy about the end historical model is this approach to stay ready. Like, be aware that there, there is going to be an end of this world. And the events surrounding that, maybe, maybe we can know some of those things, but there will be an end of this world. That Christ will return. We need to stay ready. And what I do love about the end historical model is this approach to stay ready, to keep our eyes open, to... Um, live our lives in such a way that we know that this world is not forever, that there will be a new earth and a new heaven and this world will pass away. So with that in mind, with this big picture in mind, let's conclude with prayer this morning. And Father, we turn to you and say thank you for giving us in times uh, passages and scriptures that we might stay ready. God, there's so many different interpretations. God, reveal to us, give us the, the right thoughts, your approach to what you've prophesied about and spoken about the end. God, we do believe that you are returning, like you said. We do believe that, that this world will end. We do believe in a resurrection. And God, if, if, if somehow you can show us um, how those things might happen, all the better. But God, we, we do stand back and, and we believe in those things. We rest upon those things that you're coming. There will be a resurrection. There will be an end to this world. God, we, we approach this with, with all seriousness and say that, that we're ready, that we're um, willing for, for you to come back and we, we know you and we love you and we are your saints and we praise you, Lord. We're not afraid of it, but we, we look to it with just respect and, and humility of the end. And so, Father, we praise you. We worship your holy name. And everybody said, Amen. All right come next week we'll conclude eschatology and we'll have some bacon so bacon all right peace out everybody thank you for listening to the mill sunday school podcast you can find more information at www.themillonline.org